Episode 41, Alex Feldman, or Alex the Jester, Connecting Quickly and Managing Behavior Through Physicality. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to the episode of The Art of Storytelling with Children. I am thrilled that you have found your way through the fibrous interconnections of the Internet, and you have found your way here to this space, this beautiful place of joy and passion and, and comedy and physicality, because tonight I have a man that I have admired for many years on the show. He, when I first saw him perform, I laughed so hard I thought my stomach was going to come out and hit me over the head because it was so angry with how I was treating it by laughing that much. We have Alex the Jester. And Alex is amazing at the way he uses his physical body to get you to laugh. And I saw him hold an audience. um, I think it was like 800 kids. He had his little 15-minute spot. And he, he, in his 15 minutes, he had a continuous story of sorts. And it, it flowed from one piece to the other and had a natural progression, and there was a story there. And so I think it was within the framework of the show to invite Alex on. But then as, as I went on, I started interviewing people about street storytelling, and I started interviewing people about um, using their bodies to tell stories. I realized that I have to get this guy on the show, and so I'm really grateful that he came on. And one thing that you should know, just so just so the people who are in the storytelling movement who may not have heard of Alex the Jester, um, his website is alexthejester.com, and Alex the Jester has toured throughout the U.S. and in 15 different countries. He can make the stiffest of stiffs laugh, according to Boston Magazine, and the New Zealand Herald described him as an outrageous, offbeat, and full of surprises character. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. And uh, I might reveal some dastardly secrets on how to amplify your show. But first, I should uh, take my mask off and say, uh, this is just the, the the gravelly guy behind the construct. Uh, I'll reveal the secrets of the method to the madness. And so uh, I thought I would just, just leave all the jokes aside and just get right to it. This The story that I love to do is about a monk that wants to break out he doesn't have to be a monk, but I feel most of us want to break out and show some other side that we don't always show to the world. There's there's something there's something inside us, and that's that's a story I, they like to tell when I go on stage. But right here on the show, I thought I'd deconstruct um, not so much my story, but how we can use the stage and our bodies to to convey all kinds of uh, of deeper feelings. In fact, I, here's a question I'd like to to ask you. How much of communication is words? Oh, I would say 10%. Well, that's, I'm glad you, you saw that. There's a lot besides <laughs> the words. I thought a wordsmith like you would, would probably bump it up more like 60 or 70. But no, yeah, because, because my style of storytelling is very much physical, which is one mm-hmm. reason I admire your work so much. Because, mm-hmm. because I look at you and I see, oh, here's someone who, who isn't attached to the words. <laughs> mm-hmm. or, you know. So, but, but when I look at your stuff, it's easy... It's easy to think, oh, so obviously you've thought a lot about what's going on in the background. Yeah. I love hearing Marcel, Marcel talk about his work. And he, uh, after going really deep into some parts of how you can bring people on a journey without words, and he will go paragraph after paragraph, and then he'll just say, uh, never let a mime talk, because when you do, he won't shut up. <laughs> and explain, I can relate explain to that. Explain for someone because on your screen, You're identifying Marcel. that there's... There can be a lot of uh, of uh, tremendous amount of information in, in tone of voice and gestures and your eyes and your face and stuff like that. And uh, I think it's sort of 
makes the storytelling in a way have a power that music can have. You know how music can can strike chords that can't be played in other ways. Explain to the audience who doesn't know story. Some story, a lot of storytellers who listen to the show won't know who Marceau is. Okay, is yes, he, he, I guess he was the he was the the most famous mime and just died a year ago after touring for about fifty. Uh, but I wouldn't. I'm not a mime myself. I talk. I talk. I talk a lot in the show, but I just don't. I talk. It's a vehicle to be but you know, I mean, just making sounds that accompany my my physicality. But where where it applies to storytelling, there's all this feeling that you can get out there. But what I want to be able to help listeners with is that before the show, you have to sort of set things up so that when you have the little things that might happen during a show or the magical moments or, or maybe the, the uh, distracting moments or that kid who, you know, who won't shut up or that person who gets sick or the bell that rings or whatever, you'll have tools to be able to um, coast through them. And sometimes, sometimes uh, they'll do it even better than if you had words. But I must tell you, Eric, for the first bunch of years I was touring, I, I, it's now at this point where I find it's a real advantage sometimes to not have to, to explain things. So I thought I'd just talk about some of the uh, stuff uh, about... So what do you mean about setting things up, though? Go a little more detail into that. Like, what are you setting up? How are you well, setting it up? Let, let's, let me first go like, I can make a promise that if you are a storyteller or any other variety artist who comes comes into a setting with your, your very small ensemble, perhaps just you yourself, uh, there's a lot of things that you have to keep track of besides just your your performance. But maybe you might be so overloaded you can't do it, or maybe it's years and years or a whole lifetime before you can get to these other things down the list of things to keep track of. Mm. Um, also, one thing I really think that we have to deal with in this magical form is there's a bit of vulnerability. There's just, uh, I mean, it's not the same thing as if you are like a circus, which uh, can blow people away just by the, oh, I mean, the, the huge spectacle. I started assembling a bunch of of tips and tricks that were helping me, and then sometimes I would do it when I would be in a leading a workshop that can amplify your story just as much as if you were. Uh, well, you know how long it takes to to create a show, and let's say you want to make the show twice as as compelling. Well, you can get a director, and you can maybe get better. Um, coaching and, and costumes and uh, you could probably invest a lot into it and that is would all be a very good idea to do but there's I've, there's a bunch of little things you can do which can increase the effect without having to put as much time and, and effort into it the thing is you'll have to do things that are a little uncomfortable if that's a bargain you're willing to make I got some things to say about that <laughs> I mean you know how long it takes to to, to be twice as good as you were a few years ago. Uh, let's say going into a, into a setting, and, and before I go further, I'm talking mostly to mostly performers. Is that who we have here? Yeah. I work like a maniac on trying to great, create great material and a great character. I mean, it might not have been great, but that's where I was. I was trying to push it as far as I could. And then when I had kids, I just really wasn't able to to, to be the fanatic I was before. And but I didn't want to stay still, and I was surprised how looking at these other little things would would add uh, a quality that would be really easy to obtain. So I'll start with first what I call setting the table. I think the show begins when you park your vehicle because you, I think you want to maybe wipe off any crud that's on the corner of your mouth because. Performers often have to eat on the uh, in the car, have to unrumple your clothes from sleeping in them on their bread eye flight, and you got to get yourself sort of somewhat presentable so that you can begin performing for the your contact person. Mm-hmm. Now, this is nothing. I mean, insincerely. In fact, um, by doing this, I think you'll make your contact person happier. If you come, um, if you look, look at them and find out something nice about what the way that, that you like about the. Just where you, where you coming in? Because if you can say something positive in the beginning, then you can very quickly get to those things that you need to protect such a vulnerable uh, thing that storytelling is. 
Do you know what I mean by vulnerable, Eric? Yeah, in terms of if the theater's not set up correctly or the space right. is correctly set up. And it's kind of a miracle. I mean, it's kind of that now it's in theatrical settings, which I work a lot of. It's 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 kind of a miracle that a one-person production can do this now. It's once considered, you know, way too uh, ridiculous of, a, of an assumption. So anyway, uh, some of the details that can help is well, you're going to get there, and if they're on your side right away, you might want to. If you have a state-of-the-art theater, you. you we can skip a couple of minutes, but I'm going to start for those, like, even though I work a lot of good theaters, there's plenty of times I might be working um, in an environment where there's hardly a theater or a stage at all, and I have to create that myself. So here are a bunch of little things to, to, to ask yourself. First of all, where will the audience be coming from? I mean, if you're on stage, wherever you're going to create the stage, you want to know where they're going to be. Well, this, make, this, this is something that storytellers run into a lot because we're in gyms or auditoriums in mm-hmm. school settings a fair amount. So that's a very important question. You know, you don't want to set up your stuff and then find out that the audience is sitting where you just put all the equipment and spend 20 minutes getting your gear all set up. Right. Yeah, you you, you know that thing where they get disrupted. Um, now, let's say, let's say you're going to be in a room that's sort of like a box. Mm. There's a rectangle. Where would you like to set up? Let's say the room is, to be simple, is empty. There's there's two long walls and two shorter walls. My back would be against the longer wall. I like a long audience. This audience that's spread oh, out. Oh, long, more. right. They're, they're wrapped around you more. Yeah, I like that better. But some people actually have argued with me and think that they like an audience that's deeper and shorter. Right. And the, 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 that's an excellent question to debate. And, of course, it will depend on the on the... On the the nuances of each person's show, but yeah, I, I can think of reasons for both. But that's a, that. But to experiment with both, and if you do one all the time, try try another one on a low impact gig. And then I found, after messing with that, that there was a third alternative which <laughs> I found very cool, which is to work out of the corner. You ever try that? I actually have not. P- picture you're working in the corner, and the corner is home plate. Yeah. Uh, then picture first, second, and third base in front of you. That, that you know, how, you know how like the infield has like an arc to it. Can you picture that? Uh-huh. And then I consider the the short one of the walls. It could be short, it could be long. Be the, the two walls are the foul lines. Are, are you still yeah. with me on that? Yeah, yeah. So you put the people the the, the first row right, so they're arcing, so that they're sort of wrapped around you. But what? This affords is a way that you can sort of look at them all at the same time, which is nice when you're looking. I think the way I'll just stop here at this point. That that's another alternative. But I've tried them all, and and each show has it, sort of is begging for one of those setups. Or maybe there's a fourth one I haven't tried yet too. You know, working under the floor or something. I I did a gig with somebody else where we did a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. and we did it in theater in the round. Mm-hmm. And I'd never done that before. It was a little scary to have always have a quarter. Yeah, oh, no, that, that, yeah, that my show's not would, would, would I think we suffer from that. But but, but let two people work. with two people, you can do that because if you're facing each other, you're always facing the audience. That's right. You know? Two people is much better for that setup. Absolutely. Yeah, I like to be able to look at the have the audience all see me in one glance, mm-hmm. and so. So the setup that you might be more comfortable with, I might find awkward. But there are some people, but your setup has the advantage that if you were to measure the, the average distance of an audience member, they're the closest in the setup that you described. Welcome to another episode of The Art of Storytelling with Children. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales, they are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Uh, Knowing where the bathrooms, of course, is important. Um... Now, where you position yourself, of course, is important. And I think from watching a lot of storytellers, they really value getting as close to the audience as possible. But you can get too close, you know. 
if you're too close, peoples on the ends will feel like they're being a little bit left out because it's not sat in the ends and felt that way. And then also if you start off too close, you're missing a major powerful thing to do, which is if, I mean, I think if, if I was trying to create a show working with these techniques, you know what I'm talking about techniques. I'm not talking about content. Right. If I was to work a show that would optimize the techniques, I would want the artist to start off as far from the audience as possible so that they could slowly get closer at dramatic moments. Uh, another detail that can be decided very quickly but can add a lot think, of... Well, let's stop here for a second because this sure. is not really utilized a lot in the storytelling movement, and this is a really good point. This is something you really... It's really valuable. I think a lot of storytellers could learn from. It's this idea... Because we're one microphone, and everybody you got a 1,000 people in the tent, and there's one microphone, and, and the performer stands in front of the microphone, or they're on a stage, and they're moving back and forth. It's sort of a narrow stage. Mm-hmm. And we're not used to these deeper, um, like, theater sets where you have, like, mm-hmm. more space to play with. And there is sort of this this way that you can use, you can actually, you can get the audience used to you being in that one seat, and if you're mic'd properly, at a certain point in the story, you can get up and walk and just totally change the tone and nature and the, ser- you know, you can use that moment to just make your point. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I don't think I've ever actually, you know, who I've seen do that, of course, is Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head who I've seen do that. Um, and he doesn't really consider himself a storyteller, but he is, of course. Oh, he is, yeah. Yeah. And I think his, his extensive experience, he's probably learned a lot, and he's probably worked with directors, too, about blocking. I mean, blocking is, it, this. that's partly blocking, and it, it just can be such... A lot of storytellers aren't going to know anything about blocking, so let's just, just tell what, them. What, talk about blocking? Yeah. I know. A lot. <laughs> Your job, I'm, I'm just here to ask the right question. All right. Well, you're right. I think a lot, it's often easy to get caught up in the words and to not be thinking about, not just about your body. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll act at dramatic moments, but to think the placement of where it is and, of course, how it can move across the space. And moving across the space, I think, is often left to how you feel. Not a bad way to guide your body, but very incomplete. Because if you're just leaving to how you feel, you're like a, mus- like a musician who's just feeling the music. And the way you feel when you move is a whole different appearance than the way the audience sees. They see you move, and then just because you, you, you feel this way, you move this way, they don't necessarily get what you're saying with your body just because it feels right to you. Sometimes they do, but it's plenty of times there's, there's a way that you can act a little differently with, 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 some, with some coaching maybe, or maybe you just videotape or work in the mirror, and you realize you can really um, hit some emotional um, triggers by a lot. Like, I mean, I've been doing this for so many years. It, it, it becomes a new vocabulary that is now unconscious. But so it, when you're hear- saying blocking, you're talking about actually figuring out every point in the stage where you're going to be on the stage. I think it would be a good idea. I think it would be scary for a lot of people to, to overwhelm you at once, but I think if you did it, you wouldn't have to stick to it all the time, and you probably would adapt. If you, most storytellers don't work the same environment again and again and again, they often work varied environments. But if you had some points where you knew you wanted to hit, you know, there's one storyteller I saw whose story I didn't think the, the stories. Well, I'm, what really caught me about this young storyteller was that she understood blocking. She was really hitting hitting spots, and I thought that really propelled her to to do well at a very young age. Um. No, here. Go ahead. I was going to ask you to go on. So, uh, what I'll, I'll get to assigning a. Wa- oh, assigning a. Um, I'll say it right now. It's but before you start the show, you talk to your sponsor, who now is properly charmed by you because you found something wonderful about what's going on. And of course, there's got to be something good in that person. <laughs> and then, once you've, you've once you've got some rapport, you're going to need to ask for a bunch of things if you want your. Sh- your show to go a lot better than it has been so far. I, I swear that if you take just a couple of about 20 things I'm going to blather out, your show will immediately get better. I mean, I'll stand right behind that. You, you, you just have to try things you're not used to. And so, so one detail is you ask for a person to sit near the front to watch the front row because... Uh, if this is a podcast for storytelling to children, you know that when you have children in the audience, 
um, especially young ones, a little kid can get unsettled. Usually a boss. Okay for a while. If they, sometimes it's even funny when they talk out. They, sometimes it sort of creates an interaction that's nice. But you know when that kid talks out and gets some attention, they're usually not satisfied with just one little banter back and forth. It, it can very well catch on. And I, especially if it's a very young audience, I find little children to be like Tinder. <laughs> so oh, yes. They, once it can it can catch on, the, the tender can catch a fire, and you don't want a real big fire. So a watchdog can help you keep things, you know, to a dull roar. Can you think, keep things contained if you need them? I mean, I always believe that any any half decent performer can get the kids to be all excited. But I don't. I, I, I really don't measure my shows by how enthused I get the crowd. I want to be able to bring them right back down if I want to. Then bring them back up again, and then bring them right down. Right where there's for the for the feeling or the development or the message. Yeah, but how do you do that? Well, I'm, you do I'm, it without I'm, using any words. I mean, we when I do that, I got a story, I got a crazy story, and then I go to a quiet story. I end with a really quiet story, and the story I'm telling at the very last piece to bring that audience into stillness before I send them back to their classrooms is a story about you know the characters, it's a life and death moment, you know, mm-hmm. to get them to be completely attentive. Wow, they're right there with me. I'm not using my body really, and so what I find amazing about what you do is that you're doing the same thing, but you're not using the plot at all. <laughs> so, so what are you doing physically that well, allows it, you to bring them? I mean, are you creating it, that tension with your body? I'm sorry. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes when you don't have as many tools, in this case, you're talking about the, not using as many words or a plot. You you will develop other tools, and like like a blind person often is cited for how how much attention they spend to other senses. And sometimes they, they can figure out things that a sighted person might not. And it's, um, the first time they see, your, see you, I find, is to be a really compelling moment. When you first are seen by, by the, the audience, I think there's something that goes way back into our, our ancient history yeah. Was they they look at you, and they are mam- mammals. Meet each other. They want to smell each other. Now they're not going to necessarily put their nose under your armpits, but I think in a sort of figurative way, that's exactly what's happening. Or nose somewhere else, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, you just watch dogs. So we sniff each other out, and I I think something that can really help. Any performer, or even a public speaker for that matter, is to to realize how maybe sacred is too strong of a word, but there's something really special going on that first moment, and to not rush it. If anything, to just hang back and let them sniff you. I think we're looking at a woman here. I think this is a man. I think he's about 40. I think she's 25. I think she's 70. doesn't matter, but they want to look at you. I think the first question two people have about each other they want to know what your gender is and how old you are <laughs> maybe they want to know what your race you are i'm just be frank i think that there's a sniffing going on where we're, we're just artists will get all beyond these stereotypes but nonetheless there's if they if you're relaxed with who you are and you know why you're on stage there shouldn't be much of a problem with just letting them check you out and an expression I like is, don't let the train leave the station until everyone's on board. Mm. So why rush? Just just let them just say, you know, so you sort of acknowledge them, let them look at you, and then you begin from a from a relaxed, centered spot. Now, here's something, all in that one moment, too, I often think about is where your weight is, the weight of your body on your feet. This is also, am I getting really esoteric here? Well, if I am, I guess no, it's what no, I No, no, go right ahead. Keep going. This is you know, really the, fresh. This is really fresh for uh-huh. the movement of storytellers. A lot of what you're presenting is some of it is theater-based stuff that some people know, and beginners don't really know at all. Um, but you also have a freshness of a view, a totally different view of the same thing, and that's what I really wanted. And I'm really glad that you're talking about this stuff. This is analyzing the smallest details, but um, if you could just just get up from your chair right now and just stand. 
uh, when you're not even thinking about it, you're sort of centered. And that's fine. That's probably a good place to be during a lot of the story. But for added drama, you can move to the front of your toes or lean back. But what happens so much of the time, if you're not being carefully directed, like if you're not doing traditional theater, if you're doing your do-it-your-own thing, which is what I do and what you do, what most storytellers doing, you're often forgetting where your weight is. And here's where it often goes. When you're feeling really totally relaxed and you're feeling gorgeous or handsome or charming, whatever, you, you will lean back. And when you're anxious, you'll lean forward. This is the point I'll really emphasize. When you're anxious, you'll lean forward. My leaning back was an example. You might feel really confident. You might lean back. But there's other reasons you might lean. I mean, you could lean back if you're scared, too. But when you're anxious, you lean forward. It happens on interviews, too. And it happens to performers. And it happens when the audience is, when you've made, you, got, you had a great story. And then you had another one. And they have a beautiful piece. But now you, have, you can feel it when they're getting a little unsettled. You know that feeling, right? Yeah. It's happened to all of us. It'll happen to me again, too. When, when they're starting to get a little bit, little bit shiftless because, you know, you're, you're doing your new piece, let's say, you're leaning forward. And if you're aware of that, you can then all of a sudden sort of have a little check-in, like um, brain to body, don't panic, everything's okay, just lean back a little bit and you'll be fine. You, you, you can have that little, that little dialogue going on. And so that, I mean, how long did it take me to explain that to you? Maybe a couple of minutes. That, if you practice that for another 10 minutes, you'll have a tool that can be, save you when you're having a bad show. Literally save you. And here's another, just another thing on top of that. Every story tells you know this. If you're doing a story and you're losing the kids, one of the first rules is slow down. Mm-hmm. Usually what's happening is you're talking too fast. Yes. And you're absolutely. You're just losing them. So you just if you just slow down and get believe in that moment you're telling them and but anyway, I want to I you you we put this great list on the blog and I want to get through it all and we're running out of time already. So Okay. I want to go through a couple of these things real quick here. Uh common lighting mistakes. Yes. I think there's often not enough light on the storyteller. But that gets very very common. Gary, but I'm going to throw it out. Um I think, first of all, great growth happens when you try new things, <laughs> even things that seem opposite from what you think you should do. Uh-huh. And I would think that if I was probably the most incredible, the most, let's say you want to have the most compelling thing and stop an audience of 2,000 people, that's a lot of people, if you were to stop them, you might want the audience really dark. You might not feel comfortable the first two or three or 20 times you do it. But thinking about how well the audience is lit, um, because it gives them more things to look at. The more light is, that's on the audience, the more things they can be distracted by, the more things they see. And controlling the lighting is good. But anyway, I know that's, that's a scary thing for, for, for tons of people, comedians too, and storytellers who like to interact with the audience. And there are also compromises too. You can often control how high the, the lights are. But uh, I, would, I would say um, not thinking about the lighting, particularly not throwing light on the stage is good. And if you don't have money, you can get a couple of cheap lights from Home Depot and just drag them in your in your vehicle and just grab them for when there's not enough light. But you want to throw you want to throw it on you. That's a really good idea. And and think if you have the audacity to write your own show and be a one person act and and get paid to, to to do your original stories. Most people don't get paid to do original work on stage. They get their hired. If you have the audacity to do that, write in your eyes. It's just another trick. And. Try some time with the house light dark. I'm not going to say you do all your shows that way, but you really should try that because uh, you'll learn that while it's harder in the beginning, you do get some certain powers. And then you may, maybe you'll find you don't really want to do that. But it's, if you want to be able to get you know high-paid gigs, this is, this is a good, good trick to try. And I've seen storytellers do it really well. This is definitely a place where theater and storytelling diverge. Let's go on to the next one, collaborating with the presenter so you have your needs met. I think we covered that one. I was talking about gig, good rapport with the presenter. And uh, you'll, you'll get them to be able to uh, to help. There are all kinds of things that you might want. Okay, uh, then, we'll, then we'll go on. We go on the next one because you covered that. You're right. Um, so the counting exercise. Oh, this is a great power. The counting exercise means that you have you can use your voice for all kinds of dumb dynamics. 
I would ask you to count to 20. Everyone, just count to 20, with one being your quietest voice and 20 being the loudest. You want to give it a shot, Eric? Or, or sure. It, I'm or, open. How about you, Matthew? Matthew, Matthew still, you're here, right? Uh, Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to start at 120. And when you get to the loud part, to make this uh, a little bit, that's all right. <laughs> How thoughtful. <laughs> right? Okay, so. when I was at like eight or nine how micro I wanted to keep it on a small level and to keep it honest and keep upping it Uh I just realized how much I didn't have the range I thought I did oh you do do. and and if if you made me do it I I, I would still be critical of myself when I was done Uh, (laughs) there's there's no end to how you can work on that It's, it's, it's like the Chinese opera would make people stare at the moon for like eight hours so that they could have this look of wonder when they came on stage. And there's there's just, you can't get too good at being able to control the dynamic of your voice to be able to. Okay, now, let's just stop here, okay? I know that uh, thousands of people listen to this interview. And I'm going to challenge you, the listener, right now. I'm going to challenge you to do this right now, where you are, in the car, on the subway, I don't care where you are, in your house, with your kids, with your wife, I challenge you, do it right now. Don't put it off because you won't do it. Do it right now because I'm telling you, I just did it and it was great and it made me think in a way I've never thought before about my voice. Anyway, let's go on to the, um, so think of your playlist. Are you talking about yeah. like the stories you can come up with? Yeah, I was using it, musicians, bands will call it their playlist. I want to rip it off from them. A storyteller, uh, sometimes they do one long story, which, especially if they didn't write it, it, it requires a certain, um, a certain way to be told. But if you're if you're creating your own stories or a particular collection of stories, it can be worth a lot of attention thinking about the order you do. And particularly if you have that kind of show where you might be doing doing bits. I used to do a show where I had a lot of bits. Now I sort of it's changed, but anyway. Uh, storytellers, I find, often have many different shows, and they often swap things around. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So if you think of it as a playlist, you might want to, particularly if it's with children, think of the order so that you build. But then if, if you have children, you might want to also not build. You might have a couple of builds. You might you, you might want to put a slow part. I call it a speed bump because, uh, like, I heard you talk about how how satisfying it is to end on a really quiet story. It really brings it back down. And if it's in a school, you, you get more repeat bookings that way, don't you? <laughs> you get more because you you sort of were master of uh, being able to lead them on a journey and bring them back. And so your playlist is a way of thinking about the energy level of each piece you do and be conscious of it. And I grew a lot by ripping it apart and putting it back together and ripping it apart and putting it back together and trying different different orders of my pieces. Next thing. Uh, um, so uh, techniques that don't look like techniques. Yeah, we went through that. Um, the proximity like, principle. Yeah. Oh, proximity. I talk about uh, when I'm leading a workshop, I like to have two people stand in the room and just come up to each other and just stop naturally. That's all I say. And you'll notice they, they stop at the same distance. Very, very consistent. Maybe, um, I don't know the exact number of inches, but if you, if you reached your arm out, it's about that long. And so that's a, that's a comfort level. We're, about, we're comfortable with that distance. If you get any close, you know, you've talked to people who sometimes get a little too close to you, and you're like, 
or maybe you don't even know they get too close to you, but you know you get a funny feeling. They just sort of get a little under your skin. And maybe they, maybe they just don't have that social cue of how close is too close. And also there's too far as well. But being aware of the distance you are from the audience um, can really add extra oomph to your pieces. And we talked about move closer. Every time you move closer, there's all the stuff that you might not be aware of that or maybe you are but you're so but what well, we're doing other stuff at the same time that when you get closer all of a sudden there's a oh and they see you a little bit closer so that's a proximity thing uh yeah we are i was going to ask if you were interested in analyzing dramatic finishes yeah go right ahead <laughs> I guess I was asking for permission because I'm going to deconstruct things that seem magical and might seem cheap or manipulative, and I want permission. It's tempting as beginning storytellers, when we first start out, to think we get caught up sometimes as storytellers in this idea that we have to be honest with the audience. And then as we do it more and more, we start to think, okay, you know, that wasn't honesty is good and all, but I had a bad day and I had to really to fake it. <laughs> right. And then, well, and then we go, well, what do, you know, how do we get there? We start thinking about how do we actually get there? And I think that's what you're... Generous to the audience if you don't bring your, your crap on stage. You're, you're, you're being kind. You're, you're being thoughtful of them. If you can utilize techniques, even if you're down or, or in the dumps, or, or also, I mean, if you think authenticity is... Well, I'll just say that that's often misunderstood. And I was looking for permission on was to analyze why audiences might give you a standing ovation. And they do it. They feel one thing, but there's things you can do to, to sort of... Um, they'll, they'll feel great if they leave the, leave the house and say, oh, what a great show I saw. And everyone sprung to their feet. <laughs> and there's actually ways that can help them do that. And I think if I talk about them, they, it almost sounds Machiavellian. <laughs> and few people that I know would like to admit that they would like that to happen, but anyway, there's ways to get there. <laughs> so you've given me the green light, Eric. Okay, go right ahead. Well, I will take for an assumption that you know why you're on stage, you know what your message or theme is, and that you've really worked your ass off at getting a, a fine program. But let, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Let's say we've all done that. Um, one of the one of the ways they can do it is if you're just like the counting exercise, the pacing, your playlist for that show has been has been arranged so that you had some quieter moments, maybe in the beginning, or maybe even just as good in the middle. But now you've been building and building to a climax, and then maybe your story, your and. That that playlist we, uh, that I alluded to is part of a part of the, the equation, but then when you have hit it, it's really really helpful. This little secret of simply hitting your hitting that point of climax, and then you're blocking, which we talked about. You know where you move on stage, your blocking of the story naturally brings you off stage. It, there's a good reason to do it. Or maybe you simply, or, or if not, you can create one or you simply take a bow, but just go off stage. And le and, and then with, if, you ha if you have control of the lights, bring the lights down is, is also helpful too. The lights suggest, from prim even from primitive times, of, 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 of completeness. Mm. And if they feel really good and they like, they, they like what they want, they just want to cheer for you. And now this is the part where I'm saying this is really getting, I feel <laughs> almost a chill because it's, it's awkward and it's, I'm revealing little nitty-gritty. <laughs> but once you go off stage and you've left them really pondering or, or feeling or, or jubilant or laughing, whatever it is, just a strong of whatever it is, a strong, strong feeling right down here and I'm beating my chest. Um, and you're gone. The hardest thing is to stay off stage. <laughs> I'm chuckling now because it's still hard. Watch a videotape of yourself sometime. You try this technique and watch a video. It's hard to stay off. I mean, if you know that there's a bow, because because you know that you're going to have to come back and show your face. Mm. And that's those are bits that will often 
they'll want they'll want to see you if you if you leave if you count them to 30, wanting more. You count to thirty. Do you stick off stage? Count to thirty. Go back. I wish. <laughs> you, you do? I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email when I get to 30. It depends on the size of the audience, too. The larger audiences, it's easier. Smaller audiences, it's harder. Some situations, if it's if it's the wintertime, they might be looking for their coats. Or if it's starting to rain outside, they might be worried if their car windows are down. Hmm. But in the right situation, you can you can get higher than you think. You always get higher than you think, and there's a part of you that, that, that feels weird about doing that. But, but now there are, I've exposed a lot here. And now... The real con- that's not the real conclusion to me. The real conclusion of the show is they're now throwing the love back. And while I was embarrassed about you, you can do, you know, bring down the lights. Or, or, but most of all, getting off stage, that's where it is. And even if you don't have a stage, there's ways to do that, too. You can email me or call me later on that because uh, I want to get to the last point while we have, have a moment. And um, there are ways to do that. But then it's time to come back. And just show your face because you you ended leaving them wanting more. That's the whole key, of course. You had a dramatic moment and you disappeared while they couldn't get enough of it. That's the whole, that, that that's the secret. You heard it right here. Storytelling. <laughs> that's the secret. So so now I'll feel more comfortable about the giving part because that there's something ego gratifying about a standing ovation. But when you come back out, it's so worthy of thought and rehearsal before the show to know where you are, to know who the sponsor is, to know a little bit about the sponsor, to know maybe a little bit about the the travails they had in 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 funding you or in getting you from from the getting you directions or just know a little bit. But just one little detail that shows that you paid attention to your sponsor and that Assuming you're 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 working, you know you, you, you just that means something. If you can come back to the stage or the platform or the riser or the, or the floor or the rug, and then tell the people about the, those behind the scenes, and you will feel so good doing this because you know for the last hour everyone's been throwing their love on you. It's about time you give it back. And, of course, you know that and you want to, but you might not have the tools to do it. One of the tools is a 3 by 5 card, which I hide on my props every show I do. I write a few words about it. There might be one, two, three, or maybe four or five people who have not done something. And I might peek at it during the show. But even if I can't memorize it, it's okay if I can just sort of look down casually at it and, and, and say something that doesn't have to be much, but just a little thing. And that card just helps helps keep the whole gig going. <laughs> I mean, uh, and you feel so good. It's about time you recognize the people behind the stage, behind the scenes. And by the way, the, the guy who helped open the door or swept the floor or found the light or got the bulb or all those things, oh, my gosh, they will feel so good. And they deserve it, too, because we are honored to have one of the best jobs in the whole wide world. So why don't we help somebody else along the way? I think this is really important stuff for people who are – um, trying to move into the theater environment who may have been performing in schools or they really need to think about these things in a different way. This is Rachel Hedman. You're listening to the Art of Storytelling with Children podcast with Brother Wolf, who, by the way, I co-wrote a free e-course with, College Big Cats Tracking and Capturing the Performance, where we help storytellers sell themselves to college venues. So sign up www.storytellingwithchildren.com backslash college. Now back to the show. Um, I wanted to open it up um, to other people on the call if they wanted to make a comment or a question. i give you 10 seconds here. Uh, yeah, I'd like to ask a question. Uh, this is uh, Matthew Graham. Uh, my webpage is uh, matthewgram.com still being built, but uh, there it is. Uh, I do come from a, a bit of a theater background, so I was familiar with some of these things, but I was, uh, I'd like to ask you about uh, what you were saying when you don't have a stage for coming off the stage. Sometimes, particularly if you're in the corner, as you talked about earlier, that could be a tricky thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, that transition back and forth onto the stage um, can be awkward. 
I found it sometimes helpful to talk with the people who are uh, sponsoring the event to who are thanking them uh, or doing thank yous to maybe arrange with them beforehand what to do. Uh, but do you have any other thoughts or insights? Yeah, when you look in the room, when you go there, if if you don't have a stage, there's doors often around the room in many different places. And sometimes that informs me of where I set up because I like to get, to not just get off stage but get on stage or, or choose when I come on. And so seeing where the doors are. But there's sometimes when the doors they just won't be lined up. Not as often as you might think, because ever since I got into entrances and exits, I would, and I do still do tons of shows where there might not be a proper stage, uh, the, the doors often show up magically. But when they don't, um, uh, a couple of choices are to hit a freeze, if that's, if that's appropriate, or maybe to block, to block a position of getting down low, or simply to, to turn around, because you're breathing, you take a breath, and then you turn around, and then you sort of humbly look down at the ground. Or maybe the show is spiritual, and you throw your arms up to the ceiling, or, but you, you, hit, you hit that picture. Hitting a picture is, is a way to do it. I, I found that useful. I, I found it useful sometimes to put a glass of water behind me, and in between uh, the stories of taking a break from looking at the audience and that kind of interaction, to turn my back to them and drink the water, and particularly with kids who are there for a long time or having a difficult time following the story, this gives them a chance to lose focus for a second and then come back fresh. Oh, yes, fresh. yes. They're cleaning the palate. If they're wine tasting, you know, they're cleaning the palate. Oh, yeah, you're letting it breathe. Yeah, exactly. space. Space is the last frontier. And you're, also, you're, you're, you're One other space. thing I'll say is uh, with the counting exercise, I found it useful. I did that with an improv troupe. Uh, it's really good to count backwards sometimes, too, because if you start from the loudest, it's really hard to gradually work down, too. And then, Ah, that's why you did it so well. You were a ringer, Matthew. <laughs> uh, yes, you did do that. I noticed that you didn't run out of steam at 13 or 14, yeah. So counting backwards, yes, bring, bringing it down. Yeah, it works. And by the way, the last thing I'm saying about recognizing the sponsor, that's not, that is not really just a theater trick. Any possible gig you could do could so greatly profit by by extra attention to, to the to the people who help make it happen so do you have an offer for the audience see videos or, or <laughs> you have an email list you're gonna that's right that's right uh at alexadjuster.com there's you can sign up and find out whether they'll be coming to your part of the world and also i send out um videos which i make sometimes at a as a jester off stage, I, I like to to go get into mischief and make videos. And now my family's getting involved in that, and I like to uh, to send them off to people who are interested. I like the one of your two twins. That was cute. Thanks. <laughs> Very cute. Um, well, I just wanted to offer. Um, just want to remind the audience that I have a free e-course on podcasting. It'll be coming up soon. So if you go to storytellingwithchildren.com um, backslash podcast or forward slash, whatever it is everybody does on the end of their website. I think it's backslash. Uh, you write podcast, you'll be taken to a sign-up page where you can sign up to get these emails about how to create your own podcast, if that interests you. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's where the world's going. Yeah, so the direction it's going in. Basically, in this podcasting course, I desperately try to talk you out of it because I know how much work it is. <laughs> Um, so if you want sort of a, a a heads up how to think about podcasting, it's not the sort of stuff that's in books. All the technical stuff is really easy to find in lots of different books today, but the strategic sort of overview is not really not really too available in this way. It's just there just aren't a lot of storytellers in podcasting right now. So there's not a lot of people thinking about sort of the big choices like, you know, why am I doing this and what's the passion behind what I'm doing and how am I going to do it? Um, so, Alex, do you have any final words for the international storytelling movement? <laughs> In my own gibberish language, Eric. <laughs> you said it basically, it's why are you doing this? And be grateful that you are, and don't take it for granted, because it really, you are making a difference in other people's lives. And when you do it as much as you do it, Eric, or as a lot of your listeners do it, 
the drudgeries of you know the contracts and driving and fixing props and and getting a sound system can make you forget that you just you're, you're giving an awful lot. And so my kid, my kids now are are starting to to appreciate it. Now I'm seeing it in a whole another way. So I think it's really valuable. And thanks for for uh, amalgamating the community. <laughs> My wife used that word today. So by, by, by getting it all together, getting the community together to, to help each other out is huge. Yeah, I think that something that you remind us as storytellers, I think sometimes there's a tendency for us to think, for the common culture anyway, to think that storytelling is something that happens with a book. And so mm-hmm. what that means is to a lot of people is storytelling is something that happens inside the brain. And so that means that you have to talk. And because in our current culture, the brain is kind of triumphant right now, you know, thinking and the brain and not really moving with the body. So there's sort of this lean right now within storytelling to go, well, I am I am thinking from your brain into into my brain. I'm building this connection with my eyes between us, and, and that's all there is to this moment. And, and there are storytellers who can pull that off. But there are a lot of other storytellers who could really use the ability or the choice to be physical mm-hmm. and to use their bodies as another part of the story. <laughs> yes. So so I encourage my listeners to experiment um, with physicality. And I really appreciate you being on tonight, Alex. Thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs> Wish you the best and hope hope this continues to inspire other people. And there'll be podcasts and more where they came from, too. <laughs> See, you right. later, See you later, Eric. See you later. Bye bye. Thanks a lot, Alex. Bye. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening.